Please stand for the reading of the scripture today. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass. Like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone. And as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever for those who fear him, with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children, of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Hope City Church. How are you all doing this morning? Everybody good? Thank you, Amanda, for that. I think she agreed to that before she knew how many verses I was going to have her read. But uh, she did awesome. Awesome. Um, Psalm 103 all the way through. So she did a great job. My name is Katie, and I am one of the pastors here at Hope City. And um, I'm just so glad that you're here with us this morning. I've been here at Hope City for since like 2008-ish. Um, I've been a pastor uh, since the 2018, um, and so if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you uh, in the lobby after service or down front, but um, I'm just glad that you're here with us as we continue our series uh, that we're doing in January, and last week, Pastor Joe shared a quote from Pastor Eugene Peterson. It says, there's nothing more important for a pastor to do than teach people how to pray, and as I heard that, and I was sitting there, and I was like, Nothing? Nothing more important. There's not like teaching people how to read the Bible or like being with someone in the hospital whenever they're going through a really hard time or performing a wedding. Nothing more important. Nothing more important. And as I reflected on that, I felt this conviction that said, yeah, there's nothing more important I can do as a pastor than to teach people how to pray. And the reason I recognize that is because I went back through my own journey over the past you know, over 2008, so however many years that is. But the, one of the most important things I have done was learn to pray. And if that's true, there's really nothing more important I can do than to also teach you how to pray. And that's what we're doing in, throughout January. 
because I was just like some of you so long ago, you know, long, not too long ago, where I knew that prayer was important. I had even prayed as a child a couple of different uh, prayers more, um, you know, the Our Father and different things. Or I, you know, was told, like, you're supposed to pray. This is something that's supposed to happen in your life. But it was a journey for me to feel comfortable and confident in prayer, to go to God with not just the little things, but the big things and everything and work through that. And so I know some of you are maybe feeling that um, right now, is that you kind of sort of know how to pray or you've heard people pray, but you don't know how to do it for yourself. And so that's why we're taking January to teach you how to pray. And there's a few things, three things that um, we need to do in order to make that happen. And so number one is we need to unlearn misconceptions about prayer. And so we have, so many of us have misconceptions about prayer. And I actually have some pictures of what you think prayer life might look like or supposed to look like. What do we think? We got, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody, everybody's prayer life look like that. <laughs> what is that, the sun in the background? I don't even know. But, you know, your misconception that that's what your prayer life is supposed to look like. What about the next one? What do we think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely a prayer life like that. That's what it's supposed to look like, right? What about this one? Family. That's your family time prayer, right? That's what your family looks like when you sit down to pray together. Actually, what it really looks like is more like this. Yeah, I'm praying. <laughs> the kids are climbing on my head, but I'm still talking to Jesus, right? What about the other ones? Yeah, yeah, prayer life. That's what prayer life looks like more than the other times. What else we got? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's probably snot coming down right there like that. That is more of what our prayer life might look like. Or the ugly cry. We got an ugly cry right here. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's me. That's me. Okay. So we have to unlearn misconceptions about prayer life and what that looks like. The next thing we need, we need to gain more confidence and that what, that what we're doing is actually correct. More confidence in that. See, shame will tell us that we're not doing it right. We'll you know, compare ourselves to someone else. But I want to gain more confidence. And I like the word confidence here is because when I hear, like, I want to pray better, I'm a super competitive person. So, like, all these thoughts run through my head, like, better. What do you mean better? You mean, like, longer? You mean, like, more effective? Like, better. How, how do I get better, you know? I don't know if you're competitive like me. Like, I want to get better at that. No, it's not about getting better or praying longer or different things. Like, it's about gaining confidence and being comfortable in prayer. Confidence that you're doing it correctly. Because, like I said, as a competitive person, when I hear the word better, I'm wondering, do I need to use bigger words? Do I need to, you know, be more eloquent? Do I need to, like, you know, say Jesus more? Like, what, how do I get better? No, not better. Confident. Comfortable. Comfortable with prayer and comfortable that you're doing it correctly. And the third thing is we need to develop a regular habit of prayer. Pastor Joe last week talked about how we can pray with patterns. And he talked about praying morning, noon, and night. And actually, a lot of us kind of have adopted that because that did you know that's part of why we pray for meals? Yes, we're praying and thanking God for the meal in front of us, but it's actually just a, just a reminder every single time that we eat morning, noon, and night to pray, to recognize the things that God has done for us, right? I don't know about you, but I pray, I eat, you know, pretty regularly. So if I pray every meal, then I'm praying with patterns and I'm making a habit of it, morning, noon, and night. And so 
in order to accomplish these three things, where we're going to unlearn the misconceptions and become more confident that we're doing it correctly and pray and make it a habit, we're walking through a book called How to Pray, which is a simple guide for normal people by Pete Gregg. It's available in the bookstore. This is an amazing book. Um, we've read lots of books about prayer around here, and this is at the very top of the list. And it um, is also available for those who don't really read very much. They have audible books as well. But I suggest that you grab that. But as we walk through Pete Gregg's book, he um, does this. Uh, it does an acrostic for us with the word pray, um, where we're walking through these four things, which is pray or pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And as we begin to kind of look at our prayer life, we're going to be tempted to do two things. Number one, we're going to be tempted to feel like condemnation, like, I should be better at this. I've been a Christian long enough, you know, like, why am I not better at this? God's probably mad at me because I, I forgot to pray this morning. She just said pray morning. It's already like 930 and I haven't done it yet. You know, that's not from God. But likely that condemnation is from the enemy, and, it's, and I want you to know that God's not mad at you. In fact, he's just excited that you're even, like, thinking about talking to him. He actually has a smile on his face. We actually would like for you to think about God as smiling when you're coming to him because we're going to be tempted to feel this condemnation. But it's worth pointing out that as you try to grow in your prayer life and become more confident, you are going to have some uncomfortable moments where you're going to have self-denial or um, self-doubt through that. But we want you to keep going because you're not just, you know, you're not a bad prayer because some people are just bad prayers. It's because we just haven't done it. You know, we could, like with any discipline, it takes time, grow, grow that muscle to be able to come comfortable talking to God. And the second thing you're going to be tempted to do is try to create this idealistic version of what it should look like. Like if one day when I'm, you know, retired and in a cabin in the woods, it's going to be perfect in prayer life. And that's not true either. In fact, Pastor Joe shared a quote that I want to share with you all again. It says from Thomas Burton, it says, God is far too real to be met anywhere other than reality. The easiest thing to do is think that if I have this idealistic room or this place or a space all the time, that it would be great. But God wants to meet you right where you are in reality because he is so real. And he is right here with you every single moment. And he is waiting on you with a smile. And, um, and nothing that you're facing, your current circumstances, is exempting you from that time. Like, it's not that you can just wait until you're much older and you have more time on your hands, God is ready to meet you right now, right now. And so, and prayer is something that's extremely important to me over the past uh, years. That's become something that I have loved to do. And one of my favorite moments is when we have prayer down front, when we're gathered together and we're praying over, praying over people is one of my, like just one of the joys of my life. In fact, I'm like wondering why Jesse hasn't scheduled me in a while. Like just, just a heads up. But anyway, everybody's joining the prayer team. I guess I don't get scheduled. Anyway, but I love praying for people. I love praying for you. I love when you reach out to me and say you have something uh, on your heart that you want me to pray for. But sometimes I want to say like, do you know that God wants to hear from you too? Do you know that you can pray too? You know, sometimes I want to be like, you know, it's kind of like if, like, my sister Alice, she were to call me and be like, you know, I'm having a really rough day, and I just really need you to, like, tell mom. Like, I am anxious because, you know, Johnny's starting school, and there's this stuff going on at work and everything. Can I just really need my mom right now? But can you just tell her for me? You know what I would say? Call your mama. 
Call your mom. She wants to hear from you. And I know not all of you have that opportunity or have that relationship with your mother, but you're missing out on an opportunity to go to your heavenly father with the things that you have, with the anxiety that you're feeling. Sometimes we think we have to tell someone else because they're better at prayer, but really, call your daddy, you know? Like, he wants to hear from you. Your father wants to hear from you. Your heavenly father, who is the only one that can change the way that you're feeling right now or what you're walking through or the things that you're facing, wants to hear from you. But we can let this, like, self-doubt slip in where we can only let the pastors pray or the prayer team pray or whatever. And I really want to tell you, like, he is waiting on you with a smile. He is waiting on you with a smile. And, not, and I know that the great irony of prayer is that sometimes when it's our worst prayers, those are probably our best prayers because they're the most honest. The most honest is when we can go to God ourselves. So just like the disciples who came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, are you ready to lean in and say, Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray today. See, Jesus' disciples could have said, teach me how to tell parables. Jesus, teach me how to heal the sick, teach, us, teach me how to, you know, cast out demons. But instead, they saw something different about his prayer life, and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus didn't make them feel bad about it. He didn't say, you should know by now. You know, he didn't say, no, sorry, you missed it. I got to do it for you. You know, no. He said he gave them the greatest prayer of all times. And from that day forward, they became prayer warriors, and they started praying over people and doing miraculous things. But it started with them saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And maybe for some of you, you'd be like, I'm good. I know how to pray. I'm good. I'm like, yeah, good job. Okay, great. I wouldn't say that we can all kind of grow in that, right? I think if I passed around the microphone, you would say that you wish that you prayed more. I would say the majority of us would say, like, I do kind of wish that I, you know, prayed more or was with God more, right? But the truth is, is that in order to pray more, become more comfortable, it has to be something that you enjoy, right? If you enjoy it, you'll do it more. It's like a hobby, you know. A lot of us have hobbies and things that we enjoy, like, um, you know, some of you play golf, and I'm sure that you probably wish you golfed more, but you, you desire to do it more. You enjoy, it's something you enjoy. I like to hike. It's something I enjoy doing. It's something I try to do often. I desire for that. Like, I want to do that. Other people like running. I mean, more power to y'all, but, you know, some people like running, and they enjoy running, and they want to go running, and so that's just what you want to do. So if you enjoyed prayer, you would desire it more the way you do desire other things that you enjoy, right? But the truth is, enjoying prayer is about enjoying God. Enjoying prayer is about enjoying God. Which brings us to the R in our acrostic that we're going through, which is rejoice. Rejoice. See, last week, Pastor Joe started with a pause, where we paused. To start prayer, we have to stop. And we took time, and we paused, and it was beautiful. How's that going? Y'all been pausing?
Have you gotten past the uncomfortable silence yet? <laughs> when we pause and it becomes uncomfortable, it's really hard sometimes, right? It's really hard to sit there in silence. But pausing is where we have to start. And then when we get past pause and we remember that God is God and I am not the only place to go and where it leads. The only appropriate response is reverence, is rejoice. And enjoying prayer is about enjoying God. And so Jesus started the prayer that he taught his disciples with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Pete Gregg in his book says, no one stares up at the northern lights thinking, wow, I'm incredible. We are hardwired to wonder and therefore worship. We are wired to wonder and therefore worship. So when you pause and take time to recognize that God is God and I am not, the only response is rejoice. The only response is reverence. We were meant to worship, and Paul tells us how to rejoice in Philippians 4.4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul emphasizes always and again. We're going to rejoice in the, world, in, in the Lord always, and we're going to rejoice again. Not just once. We're going to continue to the rejoice over and over again. But our misunderstanding is that I'll rejoice once things get better. I'll rejoice once life gets easier. I'll rejoice once I'm not sad anymore. I will rejoice once fill in the blank. But Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always and again. He repeats this because all throughout the book of Philippians because this is our burden is to continue to rejoice in the Lord no matter what we're facing, no matter what's going on. And we can always rejoice in him because it's, we can always rejoice because it is grounded in the Lord. We can always rejoice because we are grounded in the fact that he is good. And in this scenario, in the book of Philippians, Paul is facing some really hard things. He's in jail right now. He's in prison right now. His circumstances aren't good. There's conflict in the church. There's conflict outside of the church. There's conflict everywhere. And Paul is able to say rejoice, not just once, but twice and always and again. And the only reason he can do that is because he knows that his joy comes from the Lord. In Philippians 3.1, it says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens. My dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. I do it to safeguard your faith. Because the truth is, without our joy in Christ, we will be swept away by something else. If he is not our supreme joy and satisfaction, we are susceptible to being drawn away by something else. Our hearts are full of all kinds of desires. And we think we'll just stumble on some sort of delight and satisfaction in God, but it takes intentional, conscious maintenance to be able to say, my joy is in the Lord. My joy is in the Lord. 
See, it's like kind of like when Brad and I first started dating years and years and years ago, everything was awesome, right? He, I lived in Lexington. He would drive down there like every other day. He would skip work to come see me, like all this joy, all this awesomeness, right? But the reality is now like we schedule date nights. <laughs> That's not the most romantic thing. But our relationship is so fulfilling because we're able to like balance this delight and discipline, delight and discipline, because delight without discipline inevitably dissipates. Inevitably, it'll be gone. See, there are times when we have to say, you know what, we're going to sit down for a budget meeting. (laughs) Not very exciting, but we're able to take delight in that because we're spending time together. Every relationship will start with a high and emotional intensity, but it cannot live off of that. Your relationship with the Lord cannot live off of that. It takes discipline to go, I'm going to find my joy in you again today. I'm going to find my joy in you again today, Lord. Because you have to have a balance of both. You cannot survive on emotional intensity in a relationship in your life or your relationship with the Lord. It has to be both. Discipline and delight. And if we have no strategies for awakening and intensifying our joy with God, we will be drawn away by the enemy or our flesh. We will be tempted to get so fast out of a situation we miss the joy that God has through it. So you remember the, to become more confident in prayer, we have to enjoy it. And enjoying prayer means we enjoy God. And the world and, the, and our flesh will constantly try to draw us away, but we have to keep coming back to rejoicing in the Lord. So how do we do that? How do we keep coming back to rejoice in the, world, in the Lord? The number one is we remove the pressure and expectation. See, for me, rejoicing sounds kind of exhausting. Like I'm going to jump up and down and be excited all the time. <laughs> I wouldn't, but for some of us, that sounds great. But like sometimes it's like, wow, so I have to rejoice and jump and be excited no matter what I feel. That's not what that means. It's actually more like the word I kept coming back to was delight. Like a delight in the Lord. It's like when you get to the beach and you're like traveling with all this stuff through the sand and you're just like dragging and dragging and you finally sit down and you're like, like an exhale, like an awe. Of God. Rejoicing can sound like it's only for the happy people or only for the extroverted or the excited people. But if you remove the pressure to feel like you have to be excited all the time, you're able to find God in the little things and delight in Him in the little things, like an awe and a reverence rather than a jumping up and down giddy rejoice. Does that make sense? Because I feel like sometimes I'm like, that just seems really hard and exhausting, but God is just wanting us to remember, to remember that our delight only comes from him, only comes from him. Rejoicing and delighting in things like, remind me of like just like watching my kids, like a delight I get out of that, or a delight I get out of um, just sitting down with my husband and hanging out, like the little things, right? Like if I asked you like what, are, what brings you delight, it's probably not the things that make you jump up and down. It's probably the little things like sitting by the fire or riding on the pontoon. It's the small things. So don't get hung up by the word rejoice and feel like you got to jump up and down and be excited for Jesus all the time. Instead, just learn to have delight in him the way you do for the little things in life. And sometimes it's about just removing the pressure of that. 
I know for me, like when I go watch my kids' um, basketball games or um, softball games and you know, I feel this pressure to like be awesome and excited, like pr- the pressure for them to be awesome or me to be the best parent out there or whatever. Like I found way more delight when I can just sit down and watch them. More delight when I remove all the expectations, remove all the um, pressure of that. And that's the way it is with prayer. When you remove all the expectations of what you think that it should be, you'll find delight in that. You'll enjoy that. The little things. You give up, like it's like when you go on vacation and you have this agenda. You ever, anybody ever come home from vacation and need like a vacation from your vacation, right? So like you spend the whole time and you have this agenda and this expectation and this pressure and then you never really get to enjoy it. That's what it's like sometimes when we go in prayer, feeling like there's an expectation or some kind of, something you have to get out of it. But instead, just exhaling and saying, I'm just going to delight in the Lord today. I'm going to delight in the Lord. And prayer has been more enjoyable when I learned to let go of all the pressure and expectations. You don't have to be giddy or happy or excited in order to rejoice in the Lord. You can have delight in Him. Because I know there's things that you're facing right now that you're like, I don't think I can jump up and down for that. But you can find a delight in the Lord and a reverence in Him, even though you're facing hard things. It's just like a resting in Him. But other times we need to remind ourselves, remind ourselves that our joy is in the Lord. Remind ourselves to rejoice. Pete Gregg calls it, awaken our soul. Awaken our soul. And the scripture Amanda read today in Psalms, Psalm 103, it says, Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he has done for me. And if you know anything about King David, he has faced so many hard things. Like he was being chased to the death. He's hiding in a cave. He's different, like facing all these trials and troubles. And he is saying, let all that I am praise the Lord. Let my whole heart. The King James Version says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. See, I think he's kind of reminding himself, reminding himself to praise God. Because even when you're facing hard things, we have to take time to remind ourselves, all right, God, I need to praise you today. Awaken my soul. Let myself praise him even when it's hard. King David's like, let all that I am praise the Lord. And that's what we need to do sometimes when we're facing hard things and we don't feel like we can find any kind of delight in any situation. All right, remember, let all that I am praise the Lord. Let my entire soul praise the Lord. See, our circumstances don't define God's goodness. Remember, we have to rejoice in things, in, in Him when things aren't going well. If you only told your spouse you loved Him when you felt like it, passionate, it wouldn't be enough. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves, let all that I am praise God. Let all that I am praise Him. See, the first thing we have to do is we have to remove pressure and expectations. And the second thing, we have to recognize who God is. For some of us, the biggest problem with our prayer life is understanding God. Because if we enjoyed God, we, wanted, we would enjoy time with him more. We'd want to have more time with him. But some of us think of God as this scowling, disappointed being that's like going to smite you or something. Like that is not how God is. And if 
you think that, it would make it really hard to enjoy prayer. If you picture God as someone who's disappointed and, dis, and disappro- like disapproving of you, yeah, that would be really hard to enjoy prayer. Because prayer is enjoyable when you enjoy God. And if your only understanding of him is someone who's going to discipline you or smite you for doing the wrong thing, then it would get really, really hard to enjoy him. But the truth is, the fact is that Jesus made it clear when he told the story of the prodigal son that what kind of father God really is. He's a father who's running towards you when you've made all the mistakes and done all the things, embracing you, throwing a party because you're back. He's not scowling you or disappointed in you. Instead, he's embracing you and running towards you and wants to be with you. That's the kind of father he is. And the deeper we receive our identity as dearly loved children, the greater our desire to spend time with God in prayer. The, des- the deeper you receive that your identity is that you are dearly loved, the more you will spend time and desire to spend time with God in prayer. Pastor Tyler Staten said the most important discovery you will ever make is the Father's love. And it's, and it's just that, a discovery. It cannot be taught. It has to be discovered. And everything else flows from that discovery. Some of you have not discovered his un- unconditional love. Some of you, the, the reason it's hard to go to him in prayer is because you don't know how much he loves you. But it's a discovery. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is helping you see that. It would be impossible to enjoy time with him if you don't know how much he really, truly loves you. I think for me, it wasn't that I thought that he was mad at me. There was a little bit of that. But it was more like I wasn't 100% sure that he cared to hear from me. You know, or like my problems are really small compared to like what's going on on the other side of the world. But it wasn't until I realized God is so big that he can handle the other side of the world and what you're throwing at him, right? Like he can raise the sun up and down every single day and help you find your keys. Like he can do both and he cares about both. He cares about both. And for some of us, it's about a fear of him in an unhealthy way. But my prayer is that you discover how much you really are loved by him, no matter what you've done or whether what you're going to do. But others of us, it's more about not that he's scowling at us. It's actually a familiarity that keeps us from rejoicing and delighting in him. It's like the other day, Brad came home from work, and the girls live upstairs, and there's like a balcony, and he walks in the door, and he's carrying all his stuff. He's got his work boots on and everything, and one of, the, one of my daughters goes, hey, Daddy, our uh, drain's broken upstairs. Like, I need you to fix that. And the other one's like, hey, Daddy, what time is my practice? Are you taking me to practice? Like, hey, like immediately, before he could even like set everything down, right? And he's like, uh, how was work, Dad? Like, <laughs> you know, like give him some kind of embrace or reverence or something, you know. And so not that Brad wouldn't do those things. He would absolutely drop everything and fix their drain and make sure they know what time practice is and that their, you know, their clothes are washed and whatever. But that's how we are with God sometimes because familiarity brings, breeds apathy. Familiarity will make us be apathetic towards God when really we need to be reverent towards him. Really we need to say, God, hallowed be thy name. 
before we're able to go and ask him for something. Not that God won't listen and do the things that we've asked him to, but whenever we become so familiar, we become apathetic, it can become irreverent. There's a reverence, adoration, adoration for him. Psalm 103 didn't just tell us how to awaken our soul. It also reminds us who we are in the process. In verse 14, it says, for he, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and then we die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we have never been here. Wow. Wrap your head around that for a second. He reminds us not to make us feel bad that we are small, but we are dust. Gone. Right? That reminds us of how little we are, but how big God is. But how big God is and how much he needs us. It puts puts it in perspective for us that we aren't as important as we think we are, but God is greater than we think he is. We are grass that withers away, but we are loved by God. We spend our days asking him and asking him and asking him to pull us out of situations that we forget to hallow him and glorify him because of how big he is. We have a purpose and God placed us here on this earth for a reason, but we need to know that we are dust, gone tomorrow, but he is big and he cares about what you are walking through. Hallowed be his name. See, familiarity and comfort are good things, but not if it causes us to be apathetic and irreverent. God is still the God of the universe, and we are still grass withered away. But, verse 17, it says, But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children and to the children's children. We are but dust. But God's love remains for us forever, for generations and generations. The more comfortable you are with prayer, the more comfortable you come with God. But not in an irreverent way. Not rec- we have to recognize how big he is and how great he is. And how small we are in a way that says, I have a deep understanding of God's goodness and how much he loves me. That yes, I might be dust. Yes, I might wither away tomorrow, but God cares about the things that I'm facing today. God cares about who I am, what I'm walking through right now. Right now. So to rejoice in him, we had to remove the pressure that we have to be giddy and happy all the time and just say, I'm going to take delight in Jesus today, delight in the Lord today. We had to recognize how much he loves us and how big he is, and how good he is. And the last thing is to remember what Jesus did. Remember what Jesus did. There's nothing more rewarding than truly enjoying your time with God because you know how much he cares for you. My prayer is that you go home and you're like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I don't know what you're facing today, but regardless, I know God is good. We rejoice in him because of his undeserved grace that he extended when he sent his son. We feel like we have nothing to take delight in, nothing in this world that's going right. We can remember 
that our re- we rejoice in the Lord because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross. We can rejoice in him always because he's the only reason we can. We were created to worship. We were, cre- were created to be in awe of something. And if we do not find our joy in Jesus, we will be swept away. But the one thing that helps us remember that our joy is in Jesus is because the sacrifice he made for you and for me. The sacrifice that he made so that we could have community, communion with him. We could talk to him. We can pray with him. Sometimes it's even the high moments that keep us tempted to rejoice in those. Like rejoice in the good things in life. In Luke chapter 10 The disciples are coming back after Jesus sent them out to heal the sick and cast out demons. And they are so joyful and they are so excited. But Jesus tells them in Luke 10 verse 17, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Don't rejoice because things are going well. Don't rejoice because of your situation being better. Don't rejoice because you have power and authority. Don't rejoice because of that. Rejoice because your name is registered in heaven. That is why we can rejoice. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. Not because we wrote our own names in heaven. Not because we have good behavior and we made our way there. But because Jesus Christ left heaven to come here to this earth and feel everything that you feel. To walk through things that you walk through. And took a beating and went to the cross and died. So that our names would be registered in heaven. So that we can know him so that we can put our faith in him, so that we can have eternal life with him. Now, that is what we can rejoice about. That is where we take our delight. Not because situations get better or because of any of that, but because Jesus, Jesus is with us through it no matter what. No matter what we face. Jesus sacrificed his life for you so that you can have relationship with God, so that you can be in eternal life in heaven with him. And in just a few moments, we're going to take communion together. You're going to remember his body that was broken. Just the other day, I went back and read the crucifixion story. Like, don't do that on your, like, do that alone. Because you will just sob when you see the things that he went through. When you read about the way that he was beaten, when you read about that, you understand how much he loves you. And when you really understand that, you can rejoice in him. And when you enjoy him, you will want to spend more time with him. You will enjoy your time with him. And so when you take communion and the bread is broken and you dip it in the juice that represents his blood, my prayer is that whatever you're walking through, maybe you come back to your seat and you say things like, let all that I am praise you because I forgot. 
but all that I am, praise you. Or maybe it's your fear of him that you're walking through and you're like, God, help me not to be afraid of you. Help me to embrace the love that you have for me. Whatever that looks like for you, enjoy that time with Jesus remembering the sacrifice that he paid for you. Have reverence for the one who created you and truly enjoy your time with him. I pray that throughout this week as you pause, you come to a place of an awe and say, hallowed be your name because God, you are good. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can rejoice in you. That no matter what we're facing, we're able to enjoy you because we know you. And we know that you are good and that we are loved. And no matter how small we are, God, help us to have perspective of how big you are. God, I pray that for anyone in the room that has not yet discovered how much you love them, God, I pray that you are just awakening something in them for them to realize how much they are unconditionally loved by their heavenly Father. That they don't have to tell someone else to pray for them, but instead they can come to you, God. God, they can come to you with all the things that they have, but first recognizing how big and how good you are. God, help us to rejoice in you no matter what circumstances we're facing. God, help us to rejoice in you even when things are good. God, help us to just believe that you are worthy of all the things that we have, God. Let all that I am praise you. Remind me today, remind me again tomorrow when things start to draw me away to let all that I am praise you. God, I pray that the people in the room begin to enjoy you and enjoy spending time with you and that their prayer lives begin to change over these next few weeks. In your holy name we pray. Amen.